Welcome to church, everybody. Welcome to Crossroads. It's so good to see you. You, you look so good in your smiling masks. You, you look so good. And if you're watching from home, welcome to our second service. Matter of fact, most of the church are still watching from home, and that's fine. But I really like, you know, seeing you in person, and we got plenty of room and uh, stretch out. So it's so good to see you. Matter of fact, turn to somebody you came with and just tell them, I'm glad we came to church today. Go ahead and just tell them that. Praise God, and go ahead and stay standing. We're going to keep singing songs to the Lord this morning.
never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. Join me in prayer. I want to pray for the Crossroads Church family, for you that are here in the worship center, for you watching from home. Let's go in prayer together. Lord, we just come to you right now. And King Jesus, we come in the name of the Waymaker. Hallelujah. We come in the name of the Promise Keeper. We come in the name of the one who is the light in our darkness. And Lord, we just bring you our needs right now. We lay down every burden right now. Lord, I pray for those that are here in the worship center, for those that are watching from home, that Lord, if there's struggles, God, in relationships, if there's hurting marriages, Lord, if there's issues, God, in families, we call on your love to surround them right now. We call on the love of Christ to make a way where there seems like there's no way in that relationship. King Jesus, I pray for those that might be struggling physically, Lord. Bring your healing strength into their bodies, Lord. Allow their physical being, God, to be surrounded with the healing touch of the Savior. Lord, for those that might be hurting emotionally, Lord, during this difficult time, God, that we're all walking through, Lord, I pray that you would just touch emotions, Lord, that you would just meet us at the point of our need. And God, for those that are discouraged, those that are fighting depression, whatever it is, Lord, we give it to you right now.
And God, for every circumstance, every situation, Jesus, make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. You are the promise keeper, Lord. We stand on your word of promise that says you are with us through everything we walk through, Lord. So wherever the need is, wherever the hurt is, Lord, we just, re just release it to you right now. And by faith, Lord, in Jesus' name, we choose to say yes to you, Lord. And we receive your healing touch. We receive the love of Christ. We receive the peace of Jesus. We receive, God, the strength of the Almighty that allows us to endure, God. And we receive solutions. We receive answers to our prayers from the way maker, God. We thank you for it, Jesus. We praise you for it in advance, Lord that you hear our prayers, you answer prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Will you just thank him right now, just in advance, say, Lord, I thank you, God, that you are the one who brings the answer, brings the solution, provides what's needed, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we sing that one more time? Will you sing it by faith? Sing it to Jesus this morning. praise this morning. Thank the Lord right now. Thank the way maker, the promise keeper. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are glad that the way maker is part of your life, you can be seated. Okay, go ahead. Be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. We're going to pray over the offering at this time, a time we worship God with our giving. And as we've been saying, and particularly for those that are watching from home, uh, there's many ways you can worship God in this way, online, texting, mailing, whatever. If you're here today and you want to give, we encourage you just to... Uh, Put your offering in the offering box at the back of the room on your way out of the worship center this morning. Can we pray and bless the giving this morning? Lord, we thank you, God, that you are the way maker. 
And Lord, I praise you, God, for story after story that I'm hearing, God, of your making a way financially for families in our church family, God. I thank you, Lord, that there have been very little in, the, in, in terms of unemployment and hardship in this way. But God, if there's anyone watching, Lord, if there's anyone here that is struggling in this area, Jesus, I pray that you provide what's needed, that you would fulfill, Lord, any gap, any, any need that's there, Jesus. And, Lord, right now we give as a form of worship, as an expression of our faith. We say, Lord, we thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. So we worship you in this way and give with joy. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. One of the ways we love to worship here at Crossroads is through our giving. And there's four different ways that you can give. You can send in a check to the address you see below. You can text your giving to the number that you see below. Or you can go to our website, crossroadschurch.vegas slash give to set up online giving. Or if you're here in person, there's a box in between both exit doors that's marked offering. And you can leave your offering in that box. Well, our youth group is now meeting live and in person Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. If you're unable to join us in person, you can still watch live at 7 o'clock on our YouTube channel. We want you, if you're in 6th to 12th grade, join us this Wednesday night in the multipurpose room with your mask on. We're going to have a great time. We'll see you then. If you haven't heard the news, Pastor Corey and Pastor Faith are leaving Crossroads at the end of September. September 27th is their last Sunday with us, and Pastor Corey's giving the message that day. We want to have a reception for them after each service that Sunday, September 27th. So come on out, say goodbye, say thank you, and give them love as they leave Crossroads. We just want to let you know, if you're thinking about coming and visiting Crossroads live in person, there is still plenty of room. There's lots of room for us to spread out. We wear masks. We're not shaking hands or hugging. We're having a great time worshiping the Lord together. There is also children's church services happening at the same time for kids ages 6 and under. That's all for today. If you need any more information, just go to our website, crossroadschurch.vegas. Well, it's good to see you once again, as I've been saying. This is, I think, our seventh service uh, back in person. You went five and a half months, uh, you know, just video only, and now we're back at seventh service. So, so good to see you and those watching at home. We understand, and we're uh, grateful for you to be watching, and we'll always keep streaming the services uh, regardless. But today we're carrying on with our series we've been in for a while called A Faith That Works When Life Doesn't. <laughs> we have a faith you can rely on we have a faith you can believe in and by the way next sunday will probably wrap up this series we've been working in the book of james all this time we're not done with james we're going to continue on with james probably in the next series a little bit but we're going to change the topic a little bit but we're going to wrap up this series uh next week but today is part 10 and in part 10 i want to talk about the idea of two kinds of wisdom we're going to see as we approach the text today that james introduces two kinds of wisdom, two ways of living, two ways of thinking, two ways of approaching life. And he calls them two wisdoms. We're going to find out one of them 
isn't really wisdom at all. Uh, but uh, we're going to explore uh, what James has to say in contrast of these two approaches to life. But let's jump into the text today. It's found in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, and notice it's in quotes, right? Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, the message paraphrase puts verse 13 this way. James starts out and he says, do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Now, our speech counts, of course, but James is basically saying talk is cheap, right? <laughs> He's saying it's the way you live, not just what you say that counts. And you'll notice if you study the whole book that this is a theme in James. But today I want to talk about this idea that James contrasts two ways of living, two ways of thinking, two different ways of approaching life. And I want to ask you this morning, which way are you choosing? And how's it going? <laughs> How are your relationships going? How's it going at work? How's it going at school or other places where you're engaging your friends and others in your life? So let's talk about what James says about these two different approaches to how we view life and live our lives. So let's jump in. The first approach he outlines is what he calls the worldly, ungodly way of thinking. In verse 14, James describes one type of quote-unquote wisdom. He says this in verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. In other words, that's nothing to brag about and don't even try to deny it. But what are the two ways he's talking about here? He's talking about bitter envy and selfish ambition. All right. First of all, bitter envy, the Greek term that's used here is zelos. And zelos is a fierce, jealous zeal and envy. Now, what's interesting, the word zelos for zeal in the Greek has a positive side. There's a positive side to zeal, right? You could be positively zealous, right? But in James here, he's talking about the negative version of it. He's talking about a jealous and fierce zeal and envy marked by competition, contention, and strife. Matter of fact, the New Living Translation says this, but if you are bitterly jealous bitterly jealous. And the word bitter is the Greek term pikros. Pikros means to pierce or that which is pungent. Have you ever smelled something that was pungent and strong, right, and piercing, or you felt a bitterness that pierced your heart? That's what he's talking about there. Jealousy, envy. Webster's dictionary puts it this way. Jealousy means a hostile uh, emotion towards a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage that you don't have. What's James saying? He's saying you see somebody in your life and they have something that you want. 
They have something that you think you deserve. And you say, why do they have that? I deserve it more. Why do they have that, that situation or that person or that circumstance or that promotion, whatever it is? And you say, why do they have that? I deserve to have that more. I'm going to get it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to steal it. You see where this kind of thinking leads. And then he says there's selfish ambition in this way of thinking. Selfish ambition. Now, I believe the Bible teaches that ambition is a good thing. We should be ambitious. God wants you to make plans. God wants you to set goals and achieve those goals. Nothing wrong with ambition. What's he talking about? He's talking about selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. The word selfish that's used in this text is a Greek term, adetheia. It means factious strife and contention. Factious means, you know, to break into factions, to break up into groups, right? To fracture or to split off. Contentious means likely to argue or cause disagreements, right? Do you know anybody that everything is always an argument, right? They can't agree. You know, if you're sitting next to them, don't raise your hand or don't point. But, you know, you have somebody in your life that everything's an argument, right? You can't, they can't just accept. You know, that's contentious. Self-seeking, we know what that means. Now, Gerhard Kittel, the famous Greek scholar, he says, this word is speaking particularly of a base self-seeking, a base self-seeking. Now, what's base? He's not talking about second base in baseball. What he's saying, base is that which lacks value. It's degrading. In other words, a lower, vile self-seeking, a degrading self-seeking. Matter of fact, this Greek word in the first century actually is tied to an attitude of the prostitute who demeans herself in order to seek money. This word is talking about the base, demeaning, degrading self-seeking. In other words, this person says, I'm going to get what I want no matter what I have to do. I'm going to get what I'm going to sell out anybody I have to sell out. I'm going to sell out my friends. I'll, I'll sell out my mother. I'll sell out myself in order to get what I want. That's what he's talking about, a base self-seeking. So, so James is saying this kind of quote-unquote wisdom, which is not wisdom at all, is marked by bitter envy, a bitter jealousy. Why do they have that? I deserve that. And selfish ambition, a base or degrading kind of ambition. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want. And what does James say about this way of thinking? In verse 15, he says, such, quote, wisdom, in quotes, right, does not come down from heaven, but this way of thinking is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it's actually even demonic. This wisdom, which is not wisdom at all, does not come from God. And what's the result of living your life this way? For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. There you find disorder Akatastasia in the Greek. It's confusion, tumult, and instability. This kind of thinking leads to chaos. Everything falls apart. Listen, if there's people that are just, you know, selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, whether it's in a family, sometimes somebody passes away, they're going to read off a will, particularly somebody had a lot of money, you, you start seeing these attitudes rise up, right? If there's bitter jealousy, if there's selfish ambition in a family, there's going to be chaos. 
If it's in a business, if it's in a company, an organization, there's going to be tumult and confusion and instability. Wherever you see these kind of attitudes or approach to life, there's going to be darkness. There's going to be every evil practice, James says. Matter of fact, the message paraphrase puts it this way. It's the furthest thing, this kind of living. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning and devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others, get the better of others. Things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throats. That's what Jane says this kind of approach to life leads to. But God says there's another way. <laughs> there's another approach to life. I want to talk about God's way of thinking, God's way of living. In verse 17, James says, but the wisdom that comes from where? Heaven. This is God's wisdom. Is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Notice he says, this comes from heaven. Notice the source. Notice where this comes from. Notice the origin of this. This is God's way of thinking. And what does it look like? He says, the first thing, the number one on the list, it's pure. Isn't it interesting that all these others on the list flow out of this one? What is the word pure? It's hognos in the Greek. And it means that which is pure, clean, and proper, moral purity. Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, this reference to this word pure is not only to sexual purity, but to the absence of any sinful attitude or motive. It's the opposite of the self-seeking person that we talked about. The writer and the pastor, Kent Hughes, put it this way, this person's heart is pure in its unmixed devotion to God. I like that. In its unmixed Devotion to God. That's what purity means. We want pure water. We don't want it mixed with any contaminants, right? So do you have an unmixed devotion to God? James in chapter 4 and verse 8 says, purify your hearts, you double-minded, right? You, you know, one day you believe, the next day you're not sure. One day you love God, the next day you're mad at God because he didn't give you everything you prayed for or whatever. Do you have an unmixed devotion to God? So the first thing on the list of the wisdom that comes from above is a unmixed devotion to God, a pure heart. The second one is peace-loving. Peace-loving. And in Nikos literally means ready for peace. Isn't that great? Are you ready for peace? Are you open to peace? The Bible talks about the peacemaker. Expositor's Bible commentary says this, such persons not only love peace and live in peace, but strive to create conditions of peace. That's the peacemaker. That's the wisdom that comes from above. Number three, are you considerate? Considerate. The word is translated gentle. The person with this quality makes allowances for the weaknesses of others. Are you gentle with others in your life, with your spouse, with your family, with your kids, with people you work with? Let's say people you go to school with, but secondary school is all video from home, so you're, I guess you're, you're at home going to school. But are you gentle with people in your life? Do you make allowances for their weaknesses? The fourth thing is submissive. This is a big one. Willing to yield. Are you willing to submit? Are you willing to listen to another point of view? How many know somebody? It's always about my way, right? I, I'm always right. You know, it's my way or the highway, right? You know, again, don't point at him if you're sitting next to him. But, you know, that's another series we'll have to teach about later. But 
you know, that's not the wisdom that comes from above. The wisdom that comes from above is somebody that's willing to yield. You're willing to hear another opinion. Part of all the tumult and, 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 and you know, chaos we got going in our society today, and, you know, we got all these, you know, I'm fine with peaceful protest, but as soon as it turns into violence and rioting, you know, that's illegal activity. We got all this chaos going on because there's people that don't want to be submissive. They don't want to listen to another side. And then here's another one. Full of mercy is what characterizes the wisdom from above. Full of mercy. Eleos in the Greek. It means loving kindness and compassion. Are you full of loving kindness and compassion with the people that are in your life? Number six, full of good fruit. What's James talking about? He's not talking about apples and oranges. In the first century, it was an agrarian society. Everybody had to farm. Everybody had to live off the land. They knew what fruit was. Fruit is a byproduct. Fruit is, is the result of something. He's talking about the product of your life. When somebody looks at the fruit that your life produces, is it good fruit? And then the last one, or not the last one, number seven, he says, impartiality, an impartial attitude. Adekritos means that which is without doubts or hypocrisy. This is the only place in the entire New Testament this word is used, by the way, adekritos. It's wisdom that is steady, that doesn't vacillate, doesn't take one position one day and, and takes a completely different position the other day. It's impartial, not showing favoritism, not discriminating against anybody. That's part of the problem we're facing in our society right now, right? We talk about discrimination. Listen, the wisdom from above does not look down on anybody based on their race or anything else. It's impartial. It doesn't discriminate. And then the last one is this, number eight, sincere. Are you sincere? Without hypocrisy, sincerity, it's basically saying, are you real? Never play acting, right? What you see is what you get, right? People don't have to guess what you're about. You know, one, one uh, definition was no masks. Well, we're all wearing masks, but it's not talking about those kind of masks. No fakeness, in other words. You're sincere. You're, what you see is what you get. That's what the wisdom of God looks like. Those eight things, James says, are characteristics of the kind of approach to life, the kind of thinking that comes from above. Now, what results when you live this way? Verse 18, James says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that great? You're made right with God when you live this way. And again, it's the blood of Jesus. It is receiving Christ as Savior that makes us righteous. We put on the righteousness of Jesus, the Bible says. But this righteousness that we reap when you live with the wisdom of God means you are living rightly. You're living a right kind of life. Things fall in place. Have you ever seen a Christian? It's like, wow, things always seem to fall in place for that person and things go right for that person. They're living a righteous life. Why? Because they're living rightly according to the wisdom from heaven. And if you ever want to know where somebody's coming from, if you ever need to know which influence someone is guided by, whether it's a friend or a boss or a company or a salesman or a politician or a relative or anybody in your life, look at their actions, listen to their words and examine their fruit. Compare the fruit and product of their life and compare it with the two wisdoms. If their lives and actions and words are characterized by being pure, 
peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial and sincere, then you know they're living by the wisdom from God. But if their lives and their words and their actions are characterized by bitter envy, jealousy, selfish ambition, then you know that person is approaching life from a different way. They're following the wisdom quote of the world, the way of secular society that James even says is of the devil. James contrasts two ways of thinking, two ways of dealing with people, two ways to approaching your life. I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing in this area? <laughs> Which way are you choosing to approach life? What are you, what wisdom are you living life by? And how many know it's not always a all or nothing, right? There are times that, you know, uh, you know, we get in a bad mood or maybe you didn't get enough sleep or maybe you're under a lot of stress and you're maybe not the most merciful. Maybe you're not full of compassion at that time and you snap at your husband or your wife or you snap at your kids or somebody, a friend of yours, or, you know, well, well that's natural, Right. But which way are you trying your best to guide your life with? Which wisdom? Why is it so difficult to live from God's wisdom? How do I choose to think and approach my life according to the pattern that God has laid out? Let's talk about how to choose the right wisdom. How do I do it? I want to give you this morning three keys to approaching life God's way. Choosing the wisdom that comes from heaven. How do I do it? Number one. Let go of the mentality of fear and neediness and embrace the way of God's abundance. That's the first thing you need to do. You've got to let go of the mentality, the way of thinking that comes from fear, comes from neediness, and instead embrace the way of God's abundance. You see, the question is, other than because of the influence of the evil one, why do people choose the worldly way, the worldly wisdom to live by? Why? Because they're living their life out of doubt or fear or both. You see, bitter envy and jealousy come from living from the place of doubt. Bitter envy and jealousy comes because you're living out of a place of doubt. You doubt that God really loves you. You doubt that God has your best interest in mind. You're doubting that God is real. You're doubting that God wants, you know, what's best for you, that he knows what's best. But if you're a child of God, if you belong to him, if you're born again, you can rest in the fact that God wants nothing but his highest good for you every day, 24-7, even when you go through tough times. If you live out of bitter envy, it's because you think somebody has something that you should have. But if you belong to Jesus, you can rest in his care. You see, there's no need to envy because when you ask the question, why don't I have whatever that person has? Why don't I have that car? Why don't I have that house? Why don't I have that spouse? Why don't I have that family? Why don't I have that income? Why don't I have whatever? When you start asking those questions, you realize that you're questioning God's goodness in your life. You're questioning God's working in your life. And the fact is when you surrender to him, when you follow his ways in due time, he will bring all of his goodness, all of the blessing that he has planned for you into your life. And there's no reason to envy. There's no reason to be jealous because God knows what you need. Selfish ambition comes from a place of fear. Think about it. 
people that are all about themselves and all about, you know, selfish ambition, they live out of fear. They're, they're fearing that they're going to miss out. They're going to fear that there's not enough for them. They're going to be needy. You remember when the COVID thing first kind of hit real strong, all the hoarding going on? You know what I'm talking about? You know, people just, you know, I remember Cindy and I, this was at the very beginning. It was like early March or something. And it really was, it was kind of starting to trickle out there, the news about this virus. But it wasn't a big thing yet. We're, we went to Costco, you know. I love Costco. How many like Costco, right? You go to Costco, you get to that check stand. I got six months of olives here. Uh, but it's such a great price. I couldn't pass it up. You know, don't you need six months supply of olives? You know, I love Costco. We go to Costco and it's like we're just doing our regular shopping and people are leaving with like stacks and stacks of water and, and sanitizer. I mean, I mean, you know, one family, I, I, I kid you not, had a stack this high and they're just going and, fan, and, it's, and we're going around like, is there something I'm missing here? It's like, what, what did I miss out? I had to get on my phone to make sure, you know, that, uh, you know, some bomb didn't drop. You know, I, I thought, what's going on? But people were living out of fear. They were hoarding everything they could hoard because they thought, there's not going to be enough for me. But you know what? When you're a child of God, you connect to a higher kingdom. And when you have a, mental, a heavenly mindset, a heavenly mental posture, which you realize, I belong to a kingdom. Listen, loved ones, heaven never runs out. Heaven never runs dry. Heaven never runs short of supply. Jesus fed thousands with what? A couple of loaves of bread and some fish. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel out in the wilderness, and God, you know, he just makes food and he gives it to them out on the ground. They called it manna. He just made it from nothing. Matter of fact, I remember in our church church history a story that I've told before, and I'm going to tell it again. And as I tell it, you, you're bored with it. We'll just suck it up because it's just such a great story. <laughs> you go, is that in the Bible? Is that phrase? Yeah, yeah. Just check uh, the you know what's happening now translation. But anyway. About 11 years ago, when we were at the height of the Great Recession, anybody remember, you know, 07, 08, and it took a long time to get out of that for us in Vegas. At the height of the recession, we, we were hurting financially as a church. It, it was tough, and I was feeling the weight of that. And I remember the day when I walked out to my uh, back yard in the patio there and I just cried out to God and I was just feeling the burden of this and I said God I know that you can supply and I know you can, you know you own everything but I just need you to remind me one more time because I'm really hurting and I'm doubting here and that's all I said and I just left and I was on my way to the to the youth group was meeting and, and that time there was in the middle of the summer and they were doing this thing we called hot summer nights it was at Marion's house I think and and uh, you know I wanted to kind of check it out just to make sure that you know nobody was burning her house down or anything so I was going to the youth uh, uh, gathering uh, uh, that time and I ran into a family that I hadn't seen in, a, in quite a while because they had moved out of the area they had moved out to Mount Charleston area and it was a long drive to Crossroads and say hey I get it don't don't worry about it but their daughter had heard about this great youth youth thing that was going on and so she wanted to be a part of it so they showed up and said hey it's good to see you pastor Bob. how's it going and, and i just said fine you know you know how you say that even though you're not fine you know you kind of have to say fine i didn't tell them a word about anything that i was feeling and so we had a nice five minute conversation and then i'm kind of talking to other people didn't think twice about it uh, the wife of this couple shows up you know, just 10 minutes after I talked to her, she says, you know what? I just feel the Lord telling me, here's a check. And I don't remember the, the, the exact figure. I could look it up. I think it was like $15,000. And she said, here you go. 
you know, and, and we haven't found a new church yet, and, you know, this is our tie or whatever, you know, here's a check. And I was just blown away. It was literally only about 30 minutes after I was crying out to God on my patio, I, I went to the youth thing and just, here it is. And as much as that money meant to us, that was a lot of money for us as a church back then. God, I, I was just so grateful and, and in a way broken before the Lord, you know, with gratitude because God was basically saying to me, you know, when you live out of a place of fear, that's where selfish ambition kicks in. But he says, you belong to a higher kingdom. And he says, I own it all. I own it all. And I can release it into your life anytime and any way that I want. What are you worried about? He says, you belong to a higher kingdom. We, as Christians, if you're a Christian, we belong to a higher kingdom and a higher authority. And there's a supply in the universe of God's kingdom that is far, you know, outweighs what we could even imagine, the Bible says. And the kingdom of heaven is a place where the streets are lined with what? Gold. What are our streets like? What are our streets made of? Asphalt and dirt. Why? Because we drive on it and spit on it and our garbage goes on there. But heaven is such a place of wealth and fullness and supply and greatness that the streets are lined with the stuff that we consider one of the most valuable things we have in our society, gold. God says, disconnect from that fear. That only leads to neediness and selfish ambition because you belong to a higher wisdom and a higher kingdom that can meet your need above and beyond what you can imagine even ask for. And that's why when you have that mindset, you can live out of purity and be peace-loving and considerate because you're not all stressed out and worried and in fear. So let go of fear and neediness and embrace the way of God's abundance and connect with the kingdom that your citizenship, the Bible says, is from. The second way you plug into God's wisdom is this. Choose the values of Jesus and refuse the values of this world. You see, if you have the values of Jesus, you don't have to be bitterly envious or in bitter jealousy over what somebody has because you realize just by having more stuff doesn't really satisfy you more. Just by having more stuff isn't true fulfillment. True happiness comes from the inside. And if you truly love Jesus, you'll adopt his values. What are the values of Jesus? Well, there's many things, but, but God boiled it down. It's recorded in Matthew 22. We call it the great commandment. An expert in the law wanted to test Jesus. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What are the values of Jesus? Love God with all that you are. Love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love people like you love yourself. <laughs> love God with all you are and love people like yourself. You've got to realize that what's important in life is your relationships with people in your life, your relationships with God. True joy, true happiness, true peace comes from the inside. It doesn't come from the outside. There's nothing you can buy. There's nothing you can own. There's nothing you could steal. There's nothing you could be envious or jealous over that somebody has on the outside that will provide you with true satisfaction, joy, and fulfillment. God says you can let those emotions go. 
Because when you hold the values of Christ, you're going to understand that true joy and satisfaction. Jesus will provide from the inside out, and he'll provide it through your relationship with him and your relationship with the people you love. Choose the values of Jesus and reject the values of this world. And then the last one is this, number three, call on Jesus for his help. Call on him for his help. Matter of fact, all the way at the beginning in verse 5, and we touched on this many weeks ago, James said it this way, if any of you lacks, what? Wisdom. He's talking about the wisdom from above. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We need to ask God for help. Because how many know that we still live with our, our you know, what the Bible calls our fleshly nature, right? I, you know, I got to let you know, I don't get up every day and feel like living from the wisdom from above. Like, you know, when you're under pressure, or you don't get enough sleep or you're being grouchy or something like that. You don't always want to be full of compassion and full of mercy or something like that. Maybe with your kids or, you know, with your spouse, you know, now my wife is like that 24 seven. So she's got to, you know, but I'm talking about myself, you know, so we need to ask for God's help. There's nothing wrong with that. Lord, fill me with your wisdom. Fill me. I, I want to live your way, but I need your help to be full of mercy and compassion and, and, and all the things that we're talking about today. But the first step is you need to live from a new nature. You can't live this way, God's way, in yourself. You've got to live from a new nature. And that's a whole different way of thinking. You see, the worldly way of thinking is you're born fine. You're born good. You're born perfect. You just need to kind of, you know, grow into it. But anybody that's ever dealt with a two-year-old or, you know, whatever else, you know, you're not just born naturally good. The Bible says we're born into sin. That's why we need a new nature. The Bible says you need to be born again, not physically, but spiritually. So you need a new nature. Matter of fact, right now, I just want to pause. If you're here in the worship center or if you're watching from home. And you realize, I need to be born again. I need to live from a higher nature. I need God in my life. Will you just bow with me? I just want to pray with you right now. Just pause. If you're watching from home, if you're in the worship center, you say, I need Christ. Pray with me right now. Say, dear Jesus, I need you now. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again. Forgive my sins and my past. Become my Savior today. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, if you're watching, you prayed that prayer, you meant it from the bottom of your heart, the Bible says you are born again. You are a Christian. You now are a Christ follower with a new nature. That's the first thing. But as we walk through this life, the Bible says it calls it sanctification. As we grow in Christ, we become more mature in Jesus. We become more like him. That's when it's okay to say, Lord, help me. Give me the strength to live your way. That's why Paul wrote this to Christians. He didn't write it to non-Christians. He wrote it to believers in a church in a town called Philippi. And he said this in Philippians 2.13, for God, again, this is to Christians, for God is working in you. Isn't that great? God is working in you, giving you the desire to do what pleases him, right? When you've got those feelings, our emotions go up and down. Say, I don't even feel like, you know, being full of compassion. Today. God says, I'm going to give you the desire to do what pleases me. And then he says, I'm going to give you the power or the ability to do what pleases me. You call out to God and he will help you live according to his wisdom. 
We're going to close in a minute. The worship team's coming back. How do I choose God's wisdom and God's way? The first key was this. Let go of living from fear and neediness and instead embrace the abundance of the higher kingdom that you belong to. The second thing is this. Choose the values of Christ instead of the values of the world we live in. That basically say the more money you have, the more power over people you have, the more happiness you'll have. How many know that's not true? People that even achieve some of these things, that's why there's so much divorce or so much suicide. They find out this didn't satisfy. You live with the values of Jesus. He will fill your heart with all the joy of the kingdom, and it'll spill over into your relationships, and it'll make those relationships full of joy as well. And the third step, as we just said, call on Jesus for help. He'll help you choose the right way, even when you don't feel like it, even when it's hard. He'll help you choose. As long as you're willing, he will take you the rest of the way. How do you tell which wisdom, which way of approaching life is somebody using? In any given situation or circumstance, you've got to identify the source. Look at the fruit. If you or somebody in your life are coming from the place of doubt or coming from the place of fear, that only leads to jealousy and selfish ambition. And you know they're choosing the way of the world. But if you or somebody else are coming from a place of faith, coming from a place of trust and belief in Jesus and his values, you're coming from a place of plugging in to a higher kingdom abundance. You're living according to the wisdom from above. Hallelujah. And what did James says? You're going to reap a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of being right with God, a harvest of being right with others, a harvest of living a right kind of life defined by goodness and rightness. That's what the word blessing means. You know, blessing, we're not sure what that means. It's a, it's a biblical, you know, kind of a churchy word. Be blessed. Blessing means to live in God's righteousness and live with his rightness where God looks down on your life and he smiles on you. You're going to reap a harvest of this when you choose to walk the Jesus way. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Let's sing this song in closing and then we're going to close in prayer.
close in prayer this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are the God who is the way maker. There is nothing that you can't do. And Lord, I thank you for preserving your word of life as you spoke through your apostle James. For 2,000 years, you kept this text for us to remind us, God, that there's two ways to live. Lord, it's as relevant today as it was when it was written that there's two ways to live. God, I pray for everybody watching, everybody in the worship center today, that God, that we will choose the Jesus way and reject the worldly, devilish way. Father, we live in a world where it seems like so many people choose the worldly way. So many people choose a way of living from fear and living from doubt and it causes them to envy and to be selfish. Help us be the church. Help us be your people who live a higher way, hallelujah, who are plugged into a higher kingdom that, Lord, choose the way of heaven that enables us, God, to be pure in you, to be peace-loving and considerate and submissive and full of your mercy and good fruit and impartial and sincere because, God, we are free to live your way because your life beats in our hearts and in our souls. Help us, Lord, to choose the way of heaven. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. This is our prayer. This is our cry to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name today. If you agree with that prayer, say a big amen this morning. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful week. See you next time.